the ups and downs of my you know, personal life through you know, professional life, um, some of the failures and successes, it's always been the same. It's, it's at some point that opportunity will just, just hit at the exact right time when you're least look, looking for it hmm. and you have to be ready for it. You have to jump. At one point, our guest was considered to be pound for pound the strongest man in the NFL. His life in football, as he said, gave him access to a much bigger platform by which he could build multiple careers in media and entrepreneurship. He's a best-selling author, television host, podcaster, and co-founder of Julius Enthusio. He's held records for most yards from scrimmage. He's made millions on the field and now has raised millions off of it from pads to suit. Welcome to an all-new episode of Student Up Podcast. This is a show where I dive into the stories of today's leading athletes, entrepreneurs, and entertainers, and I'm your host, Paul Rabel. Enjoy my conversation with one of the NFL greats, now media aficionado and entrepreneur, Tiki Barber. Tiki, we're in your office here in New York. Might be a little bit loud. We waited for a siren to pass before we started. That's New York, Paul. You know that. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I, I, uh, I want to jump right in by um, starting with a quote that makes a ton of sense to me. You've said before, every run from scrimmage tells a story, mm-hmm. a beginning, middle, and end. And I think that's really great, not only from the athlete's perspective where you were talking about it directly as, as a halfback here for the Giants, but in media, we know that to be the case too. Yeah. And really kind of bad media we talk about at least amongst ourselves on video in particular is when you just jump right to act two yes you got to have an act one you got to tell people what's happening or if you're a halfback you got to see what the play is where the gaps are and then yeah you know, two know, and three yeah it's interesting because well first of all some of those stories are short stories when you're a running back in the yeah. nfl <laughs> it's like the beginning middle and then finishes in two yards in about three <laughs> seconds uh, but i was fortunate because i had a bunch of long runs uh, in my yeah. career, and some of them were an impo- important moments, and I'll get to your question in a second. But you, when I go back and rewatch them, I can see, I can like remember what was happening, right? What was, you know, what was, why did this hole introduce itself this way? And it's because a lineman blocked down just perfectly, and the other guy came out and pulled and clipped a, a, a cornerback or a linebacker just right so that I could squeeze through. And then you get into the open field, and you're like, all right, now I got to do something. Yeah. I, I, other than just run, I got to m- make a plan to get to where the goal is, which is the, which is the end zone. And sometimes that's me just out running a guy. Other times it's you know, I, I see Polexico Burris flying across the field. If I just wait just enough but not tip this guy off that he's about to get blindsided, you know, I'm gonna, I'm, I can make a big play here. And so um, I try to think about my, my football plays, some of the big ones, in that context, and it all, it all makes so much perfect sense. Uh, and the same can be said about my media career. Yeah. So I started back in 99 uh, in media because I wasn't great as a football player. I remember my manager, Mark Lebselter, came up to me and said, we got to find a way to divorce you just a little bit from the game of football. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm like, what do you mean? I, I think that's odd, though, because, I mean, you were, you were taking snaps your rookie year and then thrown in the starter but I, got, but I got hurt. Yeah. So you get, you get banged up. And traditionally, halfbacks have short careers short in pros. Career. If you get hurt in your first year, statistically, you're not going to make it to four. And so I got hurt. I tore my PCL my rookie season, and – I didn't know where I was going. And so I was just looking for what, what could potentially be next in yeah. case football doesn't 
uh, work out. I'm always hedging, you know. And so um, I started working at WFAN and doing overnights in my off seasons at yeah. 10 o'clock at night, going at 1 in the morning. And eventually I got pretty good at it. And But interestingly, I got really good at football at the same time. Yeah. And so I always describe this as this parallel path, these parallel paths that I started walk, uh, walking. And as I got better as a broadcaster, interestingly, I got you know, just as good as a football player. And then the better I got as a football player, the more opportunities came as a broadcaster. Yeah. So Yes Network starts. They have me be on their their network as soon as they start their only football show. I think it might be still their only football was show. That, was that conversation through Tracy Dolgan? No, that conversation was, uh, uh, who was it? John Filippi, I think, got it. over at, over at uh, Yes Network. And now I think he's left there. Uh, and then eventually I left Yes and went to Fox News and then Fox News after I retired and I came to NBC and then now I'm at CBS. And so the evolution is is something that you kind of can't predict just like a football play. Right. Like you don't know exactly where the cut has to be or where the help is going to come from. But if your eyes are open and seeing the entirety of the of your universe, then you can usually make your way to the finish. I think modern athletes now with social media and how active many athletes are, yeah. probably less NFL. We certainly see it in the NBA, and that's maybe where the NBA has advanced. You're right. Um, but, but when I talk to my peers in the NFL, it feels like still the, the more or less archaic sport where there's still resistance to athletes you know, taking on side gigs or side hustles. True. Whether it's in media or entrepreneurship. Certainly, you know, a decade or two decades ago, when you were doing it, were you, were you getting threatened? Were you, I, oh, I, I mean, was. I was. I, that was a pretty significant it, risk, it was, especially was, since you were injured. It was frowned upon. Yep. a lot back then because you're towing a line because you are. You, you have to be objective, right? But you also can't be a homer. Yeah. So you get you get stuck right on this line where do I say it like it actually is or do I sugarcoat it a little bit? And you're talking about the actual delivery on screen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, not only that, in the position that some of these guys are doing now more prevalently than I was, but I was kind of the only one, I was going right back in the locker room. You know what I mean? So I'm having a conversation, <laughs> you know, presenting – you know, my opinions on X, Y, or Z as it pertains to the football game or players on my team and then stepping right back in the locker room. So you have to be really, really yeah. cognizant of, of what you're saying. And, and athletes, especially professional athletes and, and your peers at the time, I think people on the other side of the screen are always wondering, like, how much are they actually paying attention to this? Yes. They, they do. Of course they do. They watch everything. They, they right? see everything. Yeah. Look, look, an athlete or a coach even yeah. will tell you, I'm not paying attention to the media. I don't, I don't care what they say. You know, we're only focused about these 53, and football's 53, 53 men in this locker room and our coaches. That's the only thing that matters. Yet right. on, a, on a Wednesday, our coach will come in with, a, with a, an article by some guy at the New York Times or New York Post or whatever. He's like, can you believe what they're saying right. about us? Of yeah. course they pay the attention. bulletin board material. You see everything. And yeah. it's actually not a bad thing, even if it's critical. I've always looked at it as, a, as, as, as an opportunity to know what people are thinking and then correcting it, right? Yep. My, my, my critics are my friends because they show me my faults, correct? Yep. And so uh, I, I don't mind negativity because it always finds a way to motivate you. So, so why media, though? Because you're, you're valedictorian in high school. Yeah. You studied business undergrad in Virginia. It's random. <laughs> now, now, now we have you in, yeah. in entrepreneurship, and you've raised money and, and built these, these mm -hmm. two businesses of offices of which we're sitting in. 
But why, why media out of the gates in 99? Yeah, you're right. So I was a geek, man. I was made straight A's in high school, went to UVA because I wanted to be an, an astronaut. So I started in the engineering school, the uh-huh. E-School, because I wanted to study biomechanical engineering and eventually make this transition. And um, I wasn't sleeping because I had to take all of my classes early in the morning so, I could, so that I could practice and work out after practice and do my labs late at night. And I was doing okay, but I was just, I was just exhausted. Um, but I fell in love with computers. You got to remember, I grew up without a computer. I mean, I had a Commodore 64, but that had no processing power, right? <laughs> I learned how to type on a typewriter. So when I got to college and I go to the e-school and there's like a, a for real computer in front of me that, ha- that can, you can program on and, and do all these different, um, you know, e- e- equations and, and, yep. and, and et cetera, um, I fell in love with it. So I knew I couldn't stay in the e-school. And so my dream of being an astronaut hmm. died. But I loved the, 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 the tech side yep. of business. And so the Commerce School at the University of Virginia offered an MIS program, Management Information Systems. So immediately after I got out of the e-school, I started taking all the prerequisites uh, for the Commerce School. Um, and there was one class in particular. It was called C++. And it was like writing English for me. <laughs> C++ is a programming language. Right. It's just the basis for a lot of these now. But it was like writing... The dog went to, to the park. That's what it felt like to me. It was yep. so easy. And so I knew that that's where my calling was. And so it, it helped me get into the commerce school where I studied management information systems. I remember learning how to program in HTML. Yep. I'm sitting in the computer lab just pulling down source code like, how did they do that? Yeah. Right? And I just take it and copy it and put it. And I created my own website and had these. It was, it was amazing. Do you think I was if, engaged. Do you think if you weren't a football player or such a talented athlete, you would have ended up with Ted Leonsis or Tim Armstrong well, I or say, Paul? I get for most of my college career because I didn't start. I wasn't the man. I put that in quotes. The man until my third year. So up until my third year at UVA, I was just like trying to figure out what what I'm going to do professionally. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, man, I want to work for Microsoft or I want to work for Oracle or right. or some company like that. And then uh, my story is so serendipitous. Right before our first game, I wasn't even starting. Right before our first game. In my, my third year, we were playing the University of Michigan in the Pigskin Classic. It's the only game on television, right? <laughs> Kevin Brooks, who was a starting running back in my third year, hurt his hamstring in practice. And so he was limited. Yep. And so I ended up having to start that game. It was my first start in my career. I rushed for 180 yards, had a touchdown against Michigan in the big house. And we almost won. We lost on the last play of the game because my brother got beat. I mean, you, can't even, you can't even write this. It's so it's a storybook. But it was, um, it was my introduction to major college football. And I introduced myself to major college football. So all of a sudden, I'm like this hot commodity. Yeah. And I have a great season that year. I'm an ACC Player of the Year. Um, the next year, I was ACC Offensive and, and Player of the Year again. And so this path that was, all right, what am I going to do for a living you know, in a, in a tech company becomes, when am I going to get drafted into the NFL? It, it happened just like that. I was ready for my opportunity. It, it wasn't ideal. It wasn't perfect, but I was just ready for it. It's, it's, I think it's so fascinating that two other guests that I've had, had on this show, we've had the same conversation that they brought up. One was Steve Nash, mm-hmm. who took an opportunity yep. when uh, the point guard at Santa Clara ahead of him got injured. And then Jeremy Lin, obviously, and, and Lin's sanity and what's taking place Without there. And, except different than you, he was, uh, you know, uh, at all costs was going to make the NBA. He was playing D-League, playing yep. overseas, 
right? And and this again, serendipitous to use your word, but taking advantage of the opportunity. Do you think from from uh, from at least the way the opportunity presented itself to you? My my gut hearing you is is that you, you weren't putting all of your eggs in that basket, so you probably no. weren't nervous or no, potentially not like at all. Oh, I better not screw up this chance. Not, not at all. It was this is what I have to do. It's what I'm tasked to do right now. Yeah, it, and you have like a George Mumford who who is a sports psychologist for Michael Jordan and Kobe and other mm-hmm. great athletes. He always says, "Be in that moment, let the play come to you. Yeah. Don't try too hard. Yeah, you can't. You can't think. If you're thinking, you're you're making mistakes or you're you, you get caught up. You freeze. Yeah. Uh, you you have those. Um, those moments that people will talk about on the negative. Whereas if you don't think, because you trust your training, then it just it falls into place. And if you're not good enough, you're just not good enough. Right. Right? And that, <laughs> I think that's where a lot of people get caught. They, they start worrying, well, am I good enough? Don't, you can't think about whether you're good enough or not. Let the situation determine if you're good enough or yeah. not. And uh, life just kind of worked that way. Sport worked its way um, that way for me. It's interesting because my life is paralleled very similarly. Um, from the ups and downs of my you know, personal life through you know, professional life, um, some of the failures and successes, it's always been the same. It's, it's, at some point, that opportunity will just, just hit at the exact right time when you're least look, looking for it, hmm. and you have to be ready for it. You have to jump. And the perfect example is Althusio got founded. Yep. So back in 2009, 2010, I'm going through a divorce. It's horrible. Um, for me, for my family, I am literally holed up in a in my apartment, and I don't leave for days, mm. months. I'm just watching Netflix over and over and over and over again. And so I get a a call from a friend who says you should try to come back to the NFL. This is now 2011. I'm like, all right, you know why not? And so I start working out again. And Mike Tomlin, who was the head coach of the Steelers, said, Yeah, if you come, if you try, you're going to try to come back, call me. I'll make I'll we'll make this happen. Mm. And so I start working out in the offseason. I'm lifting weights. I get strong again. I'm feeling confident. I'm out of the house uh, working with Joe Carini, my strength trainer, again. And I feel amazing. And then the lockout happens. Uh. And so all of this work goes for naught. But a friend that I went to school with, went to University of Virginia with, and he was in the commerce school as well, except he was in finance. His name was Rick Gerson. He calls me and says, why in the hell are you trying to come back at 35 years old? Like, right. Rick, because I'm bored. I'm depressed. I need to do something. He says, go to Club Macanudo on Tuesday. I'm going to make a lunch date with my brother, Mark, um, and you guys will figure something out. Now, I didn't know this at the time. As long as I'd known Rick, I didn't know who his brother was. His brother, Mark Gerson, had founded Gerson Lehrman Group, and he was a serial entrepreneur. And so we go to lunch at Club Macanudo and over cigars and, uh, and lunch. We start to figure out this issue that plagues former athletes. Right? You have a brand, you have a name, but you have no way, once you've retired, to monetize that. Right? You lose a little bit of contact with your community because your agent moves on. Yep. Um, there's, there's not that many opportunities for you. So we basically created a marketplace, a simple, flat marketplace. Talent, consumer. Integrating tech through that it, it point was, of purchase. But it was, it was built on Magento. I mean, it was, it was transaction processing. That was it. It was no, no interaction. It was no great user interface. There was nothing. <laughs> there was no back end for us either. It was, it, was just, it was actually pretty terrible, but it created something that never had existed before, which was a way for a layman, um, uh, you know, Johnny Public, to interact with an athlete mm-hmm. and doing all kinds of things, you know, 
going to lunch, going to dinner, playing a flag football game. Yep. Mark used to always say, if you had Googled, before Thuzio, if you had Googled flag football with Tiki, you would have gotten zero results. But because we created that opportunity, mm-hmm. we, 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 we were maximizing the marketplace for athletes. Now, it was a bad business model because it was no, there was no recurring revenue. Right. right? You, you get a, a high net worth individual to do this, they'll do it one time. Yep. And so not too soon after we started, the platform started to shift and it became more of like what it is now, a SaaS product for businesses and brands and, and, most, and mostly uh, those who want to do recurring events or find campaigns with talent. Um, that's what Julius evolved into. Um, Thuzio, the original name, now is our event company where we right. do events with the you know great guests of honor, whether they be actors or entertainers or musicians. So, so the recurring revenue aspect is 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 it fair to say that's a, like a B two B business on the sales strategy side? So you bring in big clients, absolutely, like Morgan Stanley, absolutely, and then they're paying a recurring fee and getting access to these premium yes. Yeah. It's, essentially, it's essentially a database. So we give them information on anything that you need to know about an athlete. So let's say Coke or polar water, since I'm drinking a polar seltzer water here, wants to do a campaign in, um, in, in Vermont with a Olympic skier who's 40, mm-hmm. um, has this many social media uh, hits, etc. How would they find that perfect person for that campaign in that market? Right. We help them do that. So that's what Julius has become. And with the competition out there, like the Players' Tribune and Uninterrupted yep. and kind of new media yeah. that's working with athletes on branded style content, do you come from the, the, the side of, of, of kind of ball competitively and, and in business that like, hey, competition breeds success and brings the best oh, out of doubt. all of us? Without a doubt. So that's where we are with Thuzio, uh, the, the event side of our company now, yeah. because when we started, it was part of Julius, right? So it was just one massive entity that kind of did a lot of different things. But uh, about eight months ago or nine months ago, we split the two companies. Mm-hmm. And so we're kind of both on our own now, yeah. um, individually as companies. And there is a ton of competition in the market uh, for, for content. And we know we put out fantastic live content. When we have conversations, uh, for instance, we're going to do uh, um, Andy Pettit tonight. Yep. And so when we have these conversations, we know that the 120 people in that room are going to be moved emotionally. They're going to be uh, connected and feel like they're getting this intimate experience, right? Now, how do you take that? And broadcast it to a wider audience, which is which is much harder to do, yep. um, because they're actually not in the room. And so th- those are the challenges that we face on a daily basis. And when we when we think about how to grow our company amidst the landscape that is full of competition, just all the ones you were just talking about. Hey guys, if you're like me, and you really dislike going shopping for clothes, but still want to look good. Bombfell becomes an easier way for men like us to get better clothes. You complete a simple questionnaire online and are then matched one-on-one with a dedicated personal stylist. They never charge above retail price. They offer free shipping and returns. It's a convenient home try-on with the ability to preview and edit your stylist picks before your order ships. Bombfell is fully personalized. Every piece has been handpicked by that personal stylist. They will email you his or her selections, after which 48 hours go by. You can make all changes or even cancel altogether. You're in total control. Then when you receive the clothes, you have seven days to tell Bombfell what you want to keep, sending the rest back. But here's my favorite part of the service. If you keep more, you get more. So in any given shipment, 
you can keep four more items, Bombfell will give you 20% off. If you keep three or more items, you get 15% off, and you decide to keep two or more, you get 10% off. So on top of that deal, here's the Studio Up podcast deal. We negotiated with Bombfell to get $25 off your first purchase. Here we go. To access this, head over to bombfell.com forward slash Rabel. After the pod, of course. That is B-O-M-B-F-E-L-L dot com forward slash Rabel for $25 off your order. Bombfell. Open and close. And so growing the company ops, that's certainly like a big challenge of any entrepreneur yep. or, or management team. The other two that you guys have done quite well is raising money to get the business off the ground. You raised $22.5 million to yep. date. Um, and, and, and so of, of the different challenges that an entrepreneur yep. faces, particularly someone um, who was – doing two things at once, two or three things at once, because you're still in media and still yep. are today. Uh, what would you say were, were your biggest challenges getting this business off the ground? Yeah, it's interesting. That's a great question because early on when we first started the business and we, we outsourced the business plan and we, like, we're, we're, we're shoestringing this budget, right? Yeah. And we're trying to figure out how are we going to get this thing financed? And so we, we went and met with a bunch of, of VCs, some private equity, just a bunch of like institutional institutionalized money. Yep. money. And it, it's like, they're going to buy into this, right? We're, they're they're going to love this. So how can they not? Right? We're connecting athletes with their, with their community and yep. business. And I mean, this, is, this, this is isn't out there. It's not there. It doesn't yeah. exist. But we actually were too small, mm-hmm. right? The amount of money that VCs wanted to invest, we couldn't, we couldn't give them enough. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And so... We like were, their min checks out of the gates, exactly. a million bucks plus. Exactly. And, we don't. We didn't need that. Actually, right. some of the places we met with, they, they wanted like eight or, or ten million. They and, wanted to deploy. And, and like, for they, people out there th- listening, like, well, what, Tiki, why wouldn't you take that? Well, because you would have given away your whole company. Exactly. Yeah. That, that's that's <laughs> more than the value of our company at that <laughs> right. time. Right. Yeah, so we're, <laughs> so we, we'd have no ownership in it. And and this this is again this is serendipity. The fact that my partner in this was Mark Gerson, who already built a couple hundred million dollar company in, in the Gerson Lambert Group. And one, he can invest himself. And two, he knows absolutely everybody. And so we basically were able to strategically raise money with, um, with, with family, office, family yeah. office type money. Yeah. And so every person that became an investor was also helping us grow. Mm-hmm. Right? So it was, it was strategic. And yeah. so we weren't beholden to, you, you got to get the profitability. You got to you know, get to this margin. You got to get this much revenue. We, we weren't beholden to any of that. And it allowed us to start at Thusio 1.0, which was a marketplace built on Magento, yeah. right? And, and, and slowly pivot, like keep pivoting without having to get the profitability. Because you compromise yourself when you're forced to profitability. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like, what can we do to make money? That, when you start thinking about what can we do to make money, you're often not thinking about what you can do to be sustainable and to actually grow into something meaningful. Yeah. And so I think one of the biggest challenges a lot of young entrepreneurs or young companies face, we were able to skirt around simply because of Mark Gerson. You know, and that, that's why it was such a great partnership. It's why it's super valuable to find a co-founder. At, without a doubt. So many people have pride and ownership yeah. and they want to, this is mine, this is this way it's going to do and you know, everything I say goes, but... You, 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 you can't know it all, yep. even if you think you do, even if you're studied, you, yep. you just because you don't have the experience in every little facet 
of developing a business that you need. Yeah, you can have all the equity in your company without the right partners or co-founders or strategic investors or operations, your equity is worth nothing. Exactly right. Yeah. Exactly right. So 100% timing, of nothing. <laughs> yeah. The timing that you've mentioned, we'll probably keep hitting on this, Yeah. but you know, I didn't think it was crazy for 35-year-old Tiki Barber to go back into the NFL <laughs> because you retired at a time where you were still peaking, yeah. right? You're still doing 1,000 yards plus rushing. 1,600, actually. 6,000 plus, yeah. <laughs> so, so, I mean, this is, this is a guy here who's one of the greatest running backs of all time and, you know, one of the top, you know, all-purpose yard seasons and close to 2,500 yeah. in 2005. So the production was always there. Um, and, and if you look at, you know, where you were and potentially calling, calling it quits, you were in media, you know, as we've kind of dissected, yeah. sport is just part of one of the th many things that you do, um, not who you are. Yeah, exactly right. Balancing all this stuff requires a certain skill set. Yeah. Was that innate to you? And yeah, obviously oh. you're a grinder and, and, well, and I think, well, I'm a grinder, but I'm also very patient, right? And I, I don't have an immediacy gene. You know, so a lot of people have an immediacy gene. Like, they have to have it now. Yeah. They, have to have, they have to know the answer right now, right? They have to they have, struggle with. They have to be right time. here, right now. And I have a, a, the ability to just kind of chill and step back a little bit. And kind of like waiting for Plexico Burst to come yeah, across and yeah, get block. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And here, well, here's an example. It's like when I go um, negotiate a car, I go, I go buy a car, or even when I bought my wife's engagement ring, right? The guy, I'm, I'm like, I'm a little bit knowledgeable about what I should be paying, but not fully knowledgeable <laughs> about yeah. what I should be paying. And so I, I walk in, I tell them what I'm looking for, what I want, and they come back with a price, Right, my react. I never react right away, so I never go. Oh man, you're killing me! You know, give me a. You know, no, I need a better deal. I don't. I just. <laughs> I contemplate, right. and it's often because I'm thinking. I'm like, right, is this a good deal? Or is this not a good deal? Is he trying to take me, or is is this or is this is this great? Because he said it was great, but I don't know. And so, I don't react. So I, I just calmly just let whatever happen happen, mm. and it's often viewed as as I'm like. A hard negotiator and i'm like i'm not a hard negotiator i'm just honestly thinking yep. right i'm not reacting there's no immediacy in my reaction um i'm trying to have the right reaction and so i think that's my whole life has been that i've been that way my whole life for what for some reason maybe it's my mother because yeah. uh, she was a single mom and she had have a lot of patience with me and my knucklehead brother yeah. and so she never got angry she never mm. raised her voice unless we really did something bad then we'd get spanked um so I've, I've developed this calmness about me, which allows me to take on a lot of different things and not feel overwhelmed. You know, and so I compartmentalize. It's yeah. like, okay, I need to get this done. And when I get that done, I'll go to the next thing. And so when I was playing and doing media, I remember there was one week in particular. It was before uh, we played the Oakland Raiders in 2006. Um, we had to win this game. It was New Year's Eve. We had to win this game to get into the postseason. And for whatever reason, I worked every day at Fox and Fox and Friends. And so Monday through Friday, I was up at 3.30 in the morning going, you know, right. Jeez. I lived in Upper East Side. I go down, down to Midtown, um, get, do some studying. It was not sports at all. It was all like politics and international relations and things of that nature. Um, and just study and study and study. Go on air from 6 to 7 get in my car, drive to the stadium, mm. go to practice. I remember I was exhausted. Like, come Friday, I'm shot. Um, 
But that Saturday night, I slept like a baby. Yeah. Right? I mean, I didn't stir one moment. I woke up on Sunday, and I felt so refreshed. That Sunday night, I rushed for 207 yards or whatever it was, 11 yards, and we get into the postseason, including Mm. a a giant record at the time, 95-yard touchdown. That was the one I'm – that's the one I always think about. If you go watch that video, Plexico comes over and blocks for me, and Amonic does the same thing. Um, And so – in a, in a week that should have been chaotic, it actually got really calming. Yeah. And I was doing a ton, yeah. right? But it, it got really calming, and I performed at probably my highest level of my career, and I was 30 years old at the time. Yeah. So You probably prefer, in a way, being active when you're away from the field. And agreed. In, in some cases, when I would just focus on my performance or think about what I was doing in practice, you, you, over-evalu- you over-evaluate, yeah, you, you ruminate in these thoughts. You think too much. It's often the, the death of an athlete. Yeah. What did you do before games? Man, it's, it's changed and still does. Now I, uh, now I, I meditate. I, I bring yeah. a, a lunch because uh, I get there extra early. Sometimes I'll bring a book. I'll watch TV and not take it too seriously. Yeah. When I was in college, I took it way too seriously. I'd make sure I had 100 balls set up outside in front of the net, and I'd get there right yeah, on yeah. time. And if a goalie was there getting warmed up, I'd get the hell out. Yeah, right. This is my time to warm up. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm going to miss my first shot. You know, so you get crazy. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, I, you I, wonder, if did you trust yourself, right? That's you, right. You wonder, do you trust yourself? Well, there are so many superstitions in sport, too. Yeah, I agree. Right? And, 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 there, and there are just as many mental as there are physical. Right, and, and what I always say is, is coaches that uh, that often fear losing so much. It's kind of embedded in athletes, and it was almost romanticized for a while. Like Larry Bird was one of my idols, and yeah, he was famous for saying, "I I play not to lose." Yes, he hates losing You're so right. much, and that just kills you after a while. You're right. No, it, it's it, all you think. Yeah, about. it takes your soul a little bit. And coaches will say, "If we t- we're not going to lose this first face off, because if we say we are, we're going to lose it." <laughs> And you're just not being like, and when you learn in business that like you, it's actually really useful to think about all the possibilities. Of course. So you, you have, have to plans. think about all the possibilities. <laughs> it's like, it's the, it's the baseball player mentality, yeah. right? I teach my son this, who's a really, my 15 year old is a really good baseball player. Like when you're standing, he's at middle infield. When you're standing there, think about everything that, that could possibly happen, right? What if I have to dive to my right? Right, I have to dive to my right, and it's the front hand for him. So, or my left, I'm die to my right, um, um, and and you snag the ball, and you got to get up. Where where is the where where am I going? Right, right. Is there a runner on first? Is runner on second? Is runner on third? And scoring position. Like, what am I doing on every single scenario that could happen? What if I have to run out to the outfield and make a spectacular catch running backwards because the center fielder can't get to it? What am I going to do? Where am I going to turn around? And where am I sighting? Right. And if you don't think like that, and, and as an athlete, yeah. then you get caught unawares, yep. right? And you, and you don't perform. So it's interesting when you talk about your difference between high school, I mean, uh, college and, and now. Yeah. So when I was in college, I was a little bit of the same way mm-hmm. until I became the starter, right? I would always worry, like, what happens if I get in? What am I going to do when I get in? You know, let me go out and practice all these things. But then once I became the starter, for some reason, I just, I, I started to prepare more, I guess, mm-hmm. probably because I, I felt new responsibility. Yep. And I, I, on game day, I never felt pressure. And so I would read a book hmm. before the, every Giants game. I'd be in the equipment room hmm. with, the, you know, with, the, with the door on, lights down, um, you know, just listening to music. I'd listen to like Queen or something, just chill. Yep. Even though Queen would get uh, excited sometimes in there. Um, I'd read the Wall Street Journal, yeah. right? Like stay away from all the sports Right? I, don't want any, I don't want any sports. And I'd come out feeling relaxed 
and like almost take a nap. And this is right before the game. Everybody else in the locker room, like head banging and you know yeah. getting jacked up, taking the smelling salts. Like, dude, you're gonna have an adrenaline dump, man. You're yeah, gonna, you're gonna you're gonna drop all this energy, and you're not gonna be able to find it again. Yeah, you're, I mean, you're obviously really reflective and introspective, and can and think about, you know, how your life and the different sequences have been formative and leading up to who you are today. Yeah. And, you talk about your, your mother raising both you and Rondé and, and uh, the characteristics that she helped instill in you. Patience yeah. was one of them. Yeah, of course. Uh, and then work ethic is clear that that's partly innate, but also it's what we glean, especially when we're younger. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, kind of the, the, the labor of raising kids and providing for them is, yeah. is something that's, uh, you know, obviously foreign and unimaginable to me. But I yeah. would imagine shows tremendous but work ethic. Geraldine Barber is a marvel. She is my idol. Mm-hmm. Um, she worked two jobs, sometimes three jobs, just to make us feel like we didn't need anything. Right? I, I, I know we didn't make any, she didn't make any money. I think maybe she made $30,000 mm-hmm. a year. Maybe. That's probably its peak. But we never felt like we needed or wanted anything. Right? We were poor, but we didn't feel poor. And, and so when I think about like what shaped who I am. I think about when I went to college. So me and Rondé uh, both uh, matriculate to the University of Virginia. My mom had always wanted to go back and get her MBA. And so as soon as we go to college, she goes to college huh. and gets her MBA. Uh, from, I think it was Averett College, I believe it was, in, in business administration and finance. Uh, she worked at the Virginia, Girl Line, uh, Virginia um, Skyline Girl Scout Council for a lot of our grow, uh, growing up. She was head of administration or business or something like that um and so she goes back and gets her mba and the whole time she's there she's like calling us up like hey guys i'm making straight a's what are you guys doing and so it was like it was it was going to school with her yeah but it was competitive Hmm. right she instilled this competitive nature in in us about everything whether it was sports or or life or school or she just always achieved to be the best even if it's against you know, your best friend yep. or your son, right? And so a lot of that uh, drive to be successful comes from my mom. And I think about how she raised us. And now that I have six kids, it's if I could just instill a little bit of what she gave to me, I know that my kids will be okay. Many of you out there know I travel a lot. And while I do my best work with my SNC team and physical therapists when on the road, sometimes I'm in need of some good workout instruction, especially when I'm doing additive work and also looking for something fun. Beachbody On Demand is an online fitness streaming service that gives you unlimited access to a wide variety of highly effective, world-class workouts personalized to meet your needs. And Beachbody On Demand also includes extensive nutritional content, all proven to help people achieve their health and fitness goals, where in my opinion, this is a big value add here that differentiates their business from others. Brands under the label, some of which you may have heard before, include P90X, Insanity, and my personal favorite, three-week yoga retreat. All content is accessible on your computer, web-enabled TV, tablet, smartphone, or any other web-enabled device, so you're ready at all times. So... Workout enthusiasts, young athletes, coaches, and parents, you need to give this service a try. And right now, my Student Up podcast listeners can get a free trial membership when you text RABEL to 303030. That's right. You'll get full access to this entire platform for free. All the workouts and nutritional information free. Just text RABIL to 303030. Enjoy.
How do you think about success? What defines that for you? Um, well, it's interesting because I, I often feel like I never reach it. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like I, I, I'm, it's always like, what, what's next? Right? What am I doing next? I've, I've yet to feel comfortable, mm-hmm. even though I've had a lot of successes and a lot of different things. It's an things. elusive thing, right? Yeah, it feels elusive to me. Like, how can I, how can I climb again? Right? How can I take the next step? And it's not like I'm, you know, clawing to get up to the next plateau. It's just... You, you see it and you're like, all right, I want to be there. And how do I get there? And um, I guess success is, is, is happiness in a way mm-hmm. and contentness with whatever it is you're doing. And I think it's one of the reasons that when I left the NFL, you know, people questioned it. I was 31. I had, had three seasons in a row of 1,800 you know, yards plus, 2,000 all-purpose. Like, you're not slowing down. Why are you leaving? I guess in some ways I, I felt content with what I had, what I had done. I didn't mm-hmm. want to get beat up anymore. Um, and there was another opportunity because NBC was calling Fox, uh, Fox was calling and I could see that, that parallel path that I was talking about earlier getting more important. Uh, and, and the reason I say that, so my off seasons were hell. Yeah. Right. I would work, I'd go work out with Joe Carini's, you know, season ends in January, Super Bowl's over in early February. By beginning of March, I'm deadlifting and squatting and, you, and walking with the yoke, which is a squat rack that basically has 300 pounds on it. You go take a walk with it. Like I'm doing all these things. And I remember my last couple of years, uh, I got asked to go to lunch at the, at the uh, State Department with Condoleezza Rice. Mm-hmm. Right, it was more important to me than going to Joe Carini. Yep. Right, I meet Shimon Perez at Tal on the upper in, in Midtown, mm-hmm. and he invites me to Israel. So I take a trip to Israel on the behest yep. of the premier. Right, and so those things were becoming so much more compelling to me than preparing for an NFL season. And I guess people don't understand that if the, if you're not actually walking in my shoes, it's like, ah, oh, how could you? The football's end all, be all. It's the ultimate sports, and I mean. But, but there, I, was, I was an intellectual, right? There was things that were, that were striking parts of my mind that were becoming more important than playing football on a Sunday afternoon. Uh-huh. Uh, and the fact that I felt like I was getting older and slowing down just to tick. You know, those 70-yard runs were becoming 40-yard runs. Yeah. You know, those 40-yard runs were becoming 20-yard runs. I'm getting caught from behind all of a sudden. It's like, you know, eventually I'm going to not be the man. With, with the career that you were having on field – my only thought is, is I, I, I hear you and feel yeah. that moment and decision that you made. And we haven't quite talked, although you mentioned the competitiveness that comes from your mother yeah. and then probably back and forth between yourself and, mm-hmm. and your brother. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have that, but leaving a, you know, continuing to rush 1,500 plus yards for ongoing years is like route to best ever. Yeah. And so was there any of that? How did you let that go? Or, yeah. or was that easier you know said than done? You know why, Paul? Because I never thought that I was the best ever. Yeah. You know, I didn't Your see myself. Your brother says that around Hall of Fame. He's yeah. Like, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah. Just, I never I thought that I was the best. I never saw myself as the best ever. Like, I think about Marcus Allen's of the world. Um, Walter Payton was my idol. He was, he's the, I'm never going to be Walter Payton. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think because it happened for me late. So... The first part of my career was a lot of fits and starts and frustration. In fact, the Giants tried to replace me multiple times. Like mm. Sean Bennett, who was the great white hope. I loved the kid uh, from, <laughs> from Evansville. He was awesome. Um, 
uh, Joe Montgomery we drafted out of Ohio State. We brought in Gary Brown, who has had a great career down in Houston um, before when they were still the Oilers. And then we drafted Ron Dane in 2000. Those are, those, are, those are my first five years, right? All of those things happened. Replace Tiki, replace Tiki, replace Tiki. But then all of a sudden I got it, right? Part of it was Sean Payton changing our offense, so it was a lot of misdirection and things that fit my skill set. Uh, but then I met Joe Carini, and more importantly, Tom Coughlin became our head coach, and he forced me into the accountability. So an amazing stat about my career is in my last three years, I rushed for as many yards as I did in my first seven. Mm. So I had three years of amazing football. I mean, it was unreal. It's yeah. probably unsustainable, but it was, it was unreal, right? And 1,800 yards one year and 500 yards receiving, and I retire as one of only three guys with 10,000 yards rushing and 5,000 yards receiving it. But it all kind of happened in like a three-year period. Mm. And it... I don't know. I just, I knew I was good then, but in order to be one of the greats, I would have had to been good from the very beginning. Here's one of the things that we talk about with some of the greatest leaders in business in the world, budding entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. and athletes is it's really important that you're decisive, which is what you were, right? Yeah. Lingering in that decision and probably had you played moving forward, you may have seen a dip because you probably would have felt like this isn't for me. I wouldn't have worked out as hard. So you have to be decisive. And the other thing is like, okay, step back after that decision and reflect, was this right? And what you hear about with many athletes is they, they kind of really wish they were back on the field and yeah. stuff. Did, did you have any of those feelings? Never, you know never awesome? once, hmm. never once. So I ended up not going to work for Fox. I ended up working for NBC. So the Today Show was interesting and Football Night in America, which was more of an intellectual take on football as opposed to, you know, just give me the X's and O's and this guy's going to smash each other's heads. Um, The first story that I did was with this guy named Marcus Buckingham, and he had a strengths movement. How much of your day do you spend doing things that make you feel strong? Mm -hmm. And so he did took this poll and did a survey. It was surprisingly low. Uh, the percentage of Americans that spent the majority of their day doing something that made them feel strong. You know what I mean? You go play lacrosse, right? Yep. You have a great game. Afterwards, you're like, man, I, that was awesome. Yep. I felt amazing. Most people don't even come close to you doing that. And so it, it started to uh, – it, it immediately switched my mind to, did I, did I actually love like playing football? And, and I think I, I enjoyed the glory of it. But I don't know if I loved it. You know, yeah. it, it, was, it, was, it was odd. It was I, like, I love performing. And maybe that's just me being on a stage. It's probably why media became such a, an important part of my life. Uh, I, I love having pressure and then, and then knocking it out of the ballpark. Yep. Right? But like the atmosphere of, of, of a football, of football just it, it was becoming not me, especially as I got a little bit older. Well, so I never missed it. And then I was doing things like, um, you know, uh, telling these amazing stories on the Today Show and uh, covering the Olympics and doing things that... Yeah, football gave you this massive platform. What, what you're saying actually reminds me a lot of Ben Horowitz's uh, graduation speech. I think it was at Stanford mm-hmm. a few years ago. But And then Scott Galloway, who's been a guest on the show, he's over at NYU, uh, says the same thing or reiterates it where we're told and groomed, similar to the... To the um, you know, the superstitions in sports that yeah. find your passion and do whatever it takes to, you know, excel at that. And, and I've heard like, yeah, 
the world isn't about doing whatever uh, you, you think you can do. It's about doing what you can do. Yeah. Um, but, but more so, and this is what Ben says, is like find what you're really good at mm-hmm. and give that to the world. Become really, really great at it. And then you'll find success. And, and, and then so for, in your case, you were really, really, really talented at football. Yeah. And whether that was something now in reflection that you're like, hey, this is just what I was good at. Maybe it had been something that I was super passionate about. Yeah. You brought that and gave that to the world. And now you've been given this platform to explore media yeah. and build businesses. And yeah. it's funny the way that works. I think that, I think that being a professional athlete is different with basketball because those guys make generational wealth. Yeah. Right. But with, with football, to me, I see it as a way to raise your floor. Right? A, lot of, a lot of kids, players, come from lower socioeconomic you know, environments, upbringings. Not all of them, but a lot of them do. And so all of a sudden, you're here. And, you're, and if, if you have find success, you get vested. Play three years and six games or whatever, whatever it is. And you're an established commodity. And you have a name for yourself and a brand. Your floor is forever higher. Now, you can smash through that floor by doing stupid things, mm-hmm. you know, going to jail or whatever. Um, but you've created a floor that, that most people who were peer to you from your upbringing can never reach, right? And so you've created this floor. Now, what you do from that floor, because football is finite. Basketball, yep. you can play forever. Baseball, you can play forever. Football is finite. Yep. Eventually, you're going to get injured out or the game is... Non-guaranteed contract. Exactly. Non-guaranteed contract. The game is going to tell you you're done, Right. But that floor is now risen. Now, what do you do from that, that standpoint, which is much easier than from where you started? Um, and so I look at it that way, right? NFL, the NFL gave me um, obviously a good living for a decade. It gave me a, a, a name, and it gave me an a access card, right, to entry into places that, you know, if I was just a team Kiambu Barber from Roanoke, Virginia— that's my real name. Yep. Um, I probably couldn't get into. You know what I mean? Like, I couldn't rub elbows with the Paul Tudor Joneses of the world and, and, at the Robin Hood Foundation. Um, uh, I, you know, I probably couldn't have uh, I don't know, met Shimon Perez or him know who I was at, mm-hmm. at Tao uh, and taken a trip to Israel. I, I would, all these things wouldn't have happened unless I played football. So I'm appreciative of my football hmm. uh, career. Um, but it was just a, a stage in my life, yep. right? It, it wasn't forever. Here's to sleeping well on a great mattress and our show sponsor, Mattress Firm. Everyone should know by now, if you listen to this podcast, how important recovery is through sleep. Everyone should also know how important stretching is before an event. And so does Mattress Firm, except they're stretching your dollar. Your budget stretches further when you're shopping at America's neighborhood mattress store where it's an easy win, and you play make it, take it with every night's rest. They're the head coaches when it comes to mattress expertise, but know this, they are more than mattress experts. They have a game plan that helps you transform your mattress into a bed. From adjustable bases and sheets to headboards and even bedroom decor, they have you literally and figuratively covered up and ready for the best night of your life. That's real. Go to mattressfirm.com forward slash podcast to see what deals are happening. They're mega and are changing as often as I read these ads. One constant, though, that you can bet on is they offer you a 120-night sleep trial to ensure perfection and a 120-night low-price guarantee so you know you paid the perfect price. You cannot beat it. 
Score big with a perfect bed. Head to mattressfirm.com forward slash podcast to get the play-by-play on how you can monumentally improve your sleep today, tonight, and tomorrow. Sports are so powerful and, and the access point, but what I often talk about and the value of social media today, if, if used properly, thoughtfully, and then followed up with action, yeah. is, is that it can be crossover conversation to, to like the social bubbles that we're in, yeah. in in today's world that have been inflamed because of algorithms on Google and Facebook right. and the like. So athletes supersede that. Yeah, they do. Um, but you still worry what's real on social media. So here's an interesting thing. Yeah. I'm not that much older than you, but social media was not around when I was playing. Oh, I, I would be <laughs> fascinated to see you play now because you're savvy. And so you're how, right. how you would have handled right. it. I, I mean, it, didn't, it did not exist. I mean, it was there, but it wasn't something that we did. It was like MySpace was there. I, yeah, but I mean, MySpace was for musicians, right? right? That's right. <laughs> I wasn't a musician. Like Friendster. Yeah. Reed Hoffman was kind of like you're right. thinking through you're right. the, the next like, level of it. But. Social media wasn't around it was whoever you interact with face to face and it's actually i think it's been that was beneficial to me that social media wasn't around because i probably would have tried to exploit it right and and made all these connections via social media as opposed to making all the connections like i did in new york face to face right and that, and i think that's actually more valuable it's interesting when i think back to, to what thusio is because I know there's so much content that's out there that's interesting and compelling, not, not dissimilar to what we're going to do with Andy Pettit. Um, but having that conversation face-to-face yeah. and having a room full of people hear that conversation in real time, live, is something that I think is still valuable in our society. Ugh. And it gets overlooked a lot. It, it's so valuable. It's, it's why I actually you know, I waited to be able to just sit down with you. We could have hopped on Skype or hopped on the phone. And and in some cases, you know, we have to acquiesce because it's important and there's timing Mm -hmm. and schedule in particular in media, but us sitting here and like just giving physical cues and and feeling the vibe in the air, like that takes a conversation or a connection to a different level. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I feel that when I do interviews, right? And on CBS, the radio show that I do, if I know a person, Right, Sean Payton, who comes on our show often during the football season. If I know him, like I can I can feel what he's doing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? As I ask him a question, or Brandon asks him a question, and it's like, all right, I I know what his emotion is. Right, right. Even though I can't see it, I know it because I know him well yeah. enough. But if it's someone who I've never met, I have no idea. Yeah. Like we talked to Chris Mack, who's the head coach at Texas Tech and um, uh, basketball team, and I can't like like. I don't know if he's angry. <laughs> I yeah. don't know if he's joking. I don't. I have yeah. no idea, yeah. right? You can't feel it because there's no personal connection, right? Um, I love the personal connection. I've yeah. always been a people person. Yeah, we think about it from online and offline. How are we yeah. leveraging new media well, but then making sure that we're doing events and working with young kids in lacrosse. While I have you here, because this has been packed with utilities already, there there are a few other things that that you've touched on that would be really helpful. And uh, you've mentioned Joe Carini a few times, yeah. how, how valuable he was to you. And He's then man. using football as a platform to reach other people that are trying to stay healthy and fit. Yeah. And so you wrote the book, Pure Hard Workout. Yep. And that was in collaboration with him. And yep. it feels really authentic because you guys were figuring out what worked for you. Yeah. I mean, it was real time, that book. It was someone just came and started taking pictures of us. We're like, we're going to turn this into a book. Yeah. Right. It wasn't, it was no fake again. Yeah. So, so what did you find helpful? Cause pound for pound, one of the best athletes in football while you were playing 
did you do things differently than others? And, and, and it's not, and I think what's interesting too is, is we're getting to a place and I suspect you're, you're definitely going to be that person and useful uh, uh, on this show where what pro athletes do isn't that crazy. No. But there's, no. A, there's like the general fitness uh, advocate that, that often are like, well, I'm not going to do Tiki Barber's workouts yeah. because I'm not Tiki Barber. You're right. Yeah, just because I'm deadlifting 550 pounds doesn't mean that you have to deadlift 550 pounds, but it does mean that deadlifting is a very functional and beneficial exercise. Very beneficial. Do, do, do it to your weight capacity or what you need, right? I needed to deadlift 500 pounds. I needed to carry linemen on, linebackers on my back uh, for, for, to play. But I, I think the biggest takeaway for me from that book was that, that life is hard, right? Hmm. And so you have to work out in a hard way to mimic what life is. Because I would, Joe would never tell me how much weight he was putting on a bar, right? Whether it was a deadlift, a squat, a bit, never. I mean, I could figure it out if I wanted to, but I, I never, he never told me. He huh. never said, Teak, this is 250 pounds. Teak, this is 312 pounds. Give me one rep. He would just say, get under and do it, right? And so wow. I do it. So my mind is not prejudiced, Right? There's no preconception about what I can or cannot do. He's like, just go do it because he thinks I can do it. Yeah. Right? And a lot of times I would succeed simply because he's telling me that I can do it. I'm like, damn, Joe, this is, this is heavy, man. This is hard. He's like, I don't give a shit, King. He called me King. That's my yeah. middle name. Um, uh, Kiambu is my middle name. It means King. He'd be like, <laughs> go, life is hard. Just do it. Just do the movement. Stop thinking about the weight. <laughs> and so this, like, this, this, mentality of just get it done by whatever means necessary made it started to make me a better football player this is why in those last three years i mean i was carini proof you couldn't you couldn't fuck with me and i knew it yeah. you know what i mean I, I there was a game where i got horse collar you know a horse collar tackle where a guy grabs you uh, by the by the collar of your neck and he lifts you up uh i well he pulls you down that right. way. But I was so strong that I just lift people up. So they'd grab me to pull me down, but I wouldn't go down. They'd, they'd lift off the air. But huh. the problem is they now have no control over their body. And so they fall on the back of my legs, right? And potentially ripping up my ankles and ligaments and things of that nature. Jeez. And so what happened in one game, guy grabbed me by the back of my collar. I pick him up. I feel him lift off the ground. And I'm like, shit yeah I, I like i know he's gonna come down on my ankle yeah right he comes down on my ankle it's tw it hurts like hell i limp over the sideline i'm like what is it guys he's like no it seems intact two plays later i was right back in the game and so i talked to karini after that he's like king i saw that play i saw him come down on your ankle but i knew you were gonna be all right right and so huh. like i felt invincible Gosh. I was 215 pounds. There's like a layer of armor on me. I'm 185 pounds now. Yeah. There's like a layer, and that's normal for me. But back then, I had, I had a layer of armor on me that was, that was mentally and physically like pounded into me by Joe Carini. Right? And so when, it, when we wrote that book, that's what we were trying to get after. Not that you needed to have the layer of armor, but life is hard. Yeah. Right? The things that you do, the shit that you encounter is hard. Right? Find a way to mentally and physically pull your way through it, no matter what it is. And, and uh, that's what I hope people got out of that book. Wow. I, and, and I think the tactic, too, is fascinating. <laughs> I know my strength conditioning coach, Jay Dyer, listens to all of these. Yeah. And we're always preemptively making calls 
you know, whether that's in a workout, in a game, or yeah. in business, like how much weight do you want yeah. me to throw on? Yeah. What do you think about this and that? And, and to go in, I'm really curious what it'll be like to go in on a workout and him make the choices yeah. for me and not tell me. Well, he me. knows you. He knows right. me. He knows you. That's right. So it's up to you to trust him. That's so right. I got to the point Which where- Which is so much more complex, but right. better than yes. say, yes. you know, we're going to do this much. You're right. Don't think about it. Just do it. Because it's, not, it's what we talked about at the beginning. We were yeah. talking about athletes who, you know, get these brain cramps because they're, don't think. Just do. Just do. Just do. Yeah. Uh, and, you, and success is easier. To, it comes easier that way, I think. You guys also talk a lot about nutrition. Yeah. A lot. So, you know, the, the way I always frame it is, you know, if you're a high-performance athlete playing at a professional level or doing CrossFit or whatever your assumption is, yeah. you have to take the mindset that you're a, a high-octane vehicle. Exactly. A, a, a race car. And you're not going to stuff unleaded fuel in that. You can drive on it, yeah. but you're not going to last long. You're not going to drive that well. It needs right. to be premium. That's at least how, how younger kids perhaps digest it. Or, yeah. Because that, when we were younger, we could eat double yeah. cheeseburgers. Yeah, and you're right. You're right. But you have to, you have to find those high-calorie you know, those high nutrition value f- meals that are, that are massive though, if you're trying to gain weight. So mm-hmm. I've changed completely yep. from then, you know, it was, you know, give me the leanest cut of, of meat that you could find. I'm going to load it with, you know, potatoes and vegetables and I'm going to find a, some pasta usually. And I'd have these like, you know, thousand calorie meals, Jesus. you yeah. know what I mean? And it, but I didn't, I didn't, it didn't hurt me. Right. You're working out so hard. Because I was work. I needed it. Yeah. I, I needed to be 210 pounds. I couldn't be 185 pounds. Which is probably your natural weight. Which is my natural weight. My twin brother, identical twin brother, never got over 182 pounds. 83 pounds. On the other side of the ball. Right. Could exactly. Do that. So he he graduated. We both graduated high school at 179. In his entire 16 year career in the NFL, I think he was he was 10 pounds higher than that maybe once. So his entire career, he maybe varied from six to eight pounds from his high school playing weight, which is his natural body weight. And that's now my natural body weight. So I've evolved because now that I run, I've run six marathons in three years. I, I, it's what I do. Yeah. I'm not great at them, but I just love doing them. And I raise money for Culture City, which is an autistic uh, autism acceptance organization that me and my wife are involved with. But I found that running endurance races – and eating a ton of meat didn't agree with me. Hmm. Right? My body just didn't, it didn't function correctly. Now, um, reason, reason why is it's obvious, right? It's, it's your, your long intestine, your intestines are long. And so when you eat, uh, human intestines are long. So when you eat meat, it takes a long time to digest, yeah. right? Especially if you're not masticating correctly. Yeah. Um, so we had a Thusio event. Um, oh, God, what's his, I'm forgetting his name. Stop forgetting the top of my head. But anyway, he, he writes, um, he, he's a chef and he writes. Yeah. And he told us, like, the next time you eat anything, just chill for a second and listen to your body. Hmm. Right? And so, the last, so it was probably three months ago, four months ago, the last time I ate, like, a, like a hearty big steak. I listened to my body. I, like, I, had, I wanted to go to the bathroom. Like right away, hmm. and so my body was rejecting what I was putting into it. Yeah, and so I've gotten I've gotten much more towards not vegan because I'll never be vegan, but um, more vegetables than I've ever had. Yeah. a lot of you know, rice and beans and and things that are um, nutritionally dense with with proteins and um, and vitamins uh, because that's what my body reacts well to. 
It's so you weird. go you go mostly on feel. On feel, yeah. yeah. So it's mostly on feel. So I know what when I eat something, I, I can tell. Like when I eat um, scallops, I know it's going to hurt my stomach hmm. immediate, immediately. And so yeah. I try not to do it. You're probably so, I mean, obviously incredibly in touch with your body, as most yeah. high performing athletes are. And another thing different, we talked about wages and social media between athletes now and even when you were playing, which wasn't too long ago, no. is they have these chefs in, yeah. in place and You're a right. lot of them are getting blood work done and MRT blood sensitivity yeah. testing done. Yeah. Did you have any of that stuff? I didn't. I they did. just said, like, go out and do it. Yeah. Tiki. Well, yeah. I mean, so I, I, I faced some complications. I remember uh, Heidi Skolnick, um, who was our uh, nutritionist with the Giants. Like, one, one, we do a blood test and full body, full workup every year. She's like, you have a little bit of high blood pressure mm-hmm. and your cholesterol is high. I'm like, how? I mean, how? Right. I, I mean, I'm, I'm in peak physical condition. Right. <laughs> right? There's just, there's no way. There's not, I mean, maybe I'm 8% body fat, right? Yeah. And this is when I was 215 pounds. Right. And so she says, it's probably, some of it's probably genetic. Um, and your mother probably has high blood pressure and, and, and high cholesterol. And subsequently, I checked, my mother does. So it's a genetic thing. Um, but it, it scares you, right? Because you 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 start hearing these things that if you're you know one thirty five over ninety, right, your heart's gonna explode, yep. right? And so um, at, when I retired, I made it. That's part of the reason I wanted to make a concerted effort um, to change my diet. Even though I probably could look healthy and you know look the part, there's there's internal workings in everybody's body that sometimes don't react well. The foods that we put into them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So with all this kind of stuff that, that you speak to at length, I'm, I'm very curious as to how you're continually learning. Yeah. And so one thing I, I always ask my guests to share with me and our audience is like, what are your favorite resources? Are yeah. you getting email newsletters? Are there books or specific authors, podcasts? Yeah. You have a podcast on your own. We do similar things. Yeah. Um, and so we'll have all of those links in our show notes and such. But yeah. you know, where do you gather most of your information? Are you still reading the Wall Street Journal as you did when you were playing? It's mostly the Times now, uh, the New York Times that yep. I read. Uh, the Economist I'll read as well. Mm-hmm. It's, here's the interesting thing, though. I've learned that I enjoy having conversations, mm-hmm. right? So um, Mark Gerson is very political. He's way on the right, even yeah. though he kind of comes back to the middle sometimes. Um, <laughs> And so having a conversation with him about anything that's going on is compelling. As I've gotten older, uh, politics have become interesting. And in the society that we live in now, especially sports and the crossover with politics, it's really interesting. So I've found that the best way for me to, to learn these things is to talk to people. So through luck or happenstance, my let's see, fifth daughter, fifth old, fifth child, uh, went to Jimboree with this, uh, this other child. His name is Liam. And his mother, uh, Lindsay, has a father who is the uh, Democratic superdelegate in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Right? His name is John Fitzpatrick. And, uh, no, not John Fitzpatrick. John, uh, John Graham. Fitzpatrick is her, is her now married name. But John Graham knows everything about politics mm-hmm. in New Jersey and also by extension across the country. Right. And so we have barbecues on Saturday in the summer. What are we doing? We're talking politics. Yeah. 
right? Um, I go down, I'm obviously, I graduated from the University of Virginia, and I go down frequently, and Larry Sabato is one of the uh, great political minds down there at UVA. He has the, the looking glass, which predicts, you know, elections and things of that nature. And so, just by happenstance, we're down in Virginia, he's giving a lecture. So, we, we, me and my wife just kept going. Like, we, every now and then, we'd say, hey, is Larry speaking? Yeah, let's go to see Larry. Yep. And so, he called me about two months ago and asked me to be on his inaugural board of a center for politics hmm. because their desire is to inject um, his thinking, his policies, not policies, but his programming into a younger generation. Yep. Right. They already use it in certain schools and, and teaching uh, you know, institutions, but he wants it to be young and he wants to create a sustainable thing for when he's, when, when he's no longer a part of it. And so, I jumped at that, yep. right? Because it's a way for me to learn um, what the world of politics, how the world of politics is evolving. Because it's evolving right now. Big time. It's, it's so different than what it was when I first voted. I mean, and just think <laughs> of what you just said and how both parties now, I mean, originally Barack Obama was the first to leverage new media yes. and to mobilize. Yeah. And then you look at the results of the last election and what Hillary Clinton said in her book and, and just acknowledging the Republican Party did a much better job yeah. of accessing new media right. and the Democrats kind of rested on their laurels. Now, it seems like everyone's trying to touch the next voter, right. which is very foreign to when you and I grew up because they weren't voting. No. <laughs> but with new technology and that being the next generation, you, right. you have, it's really critical and important that you influence Well, it's them. important that, that, they're not, that people are knowledgeable. That, they're, that they know what they're talking about instead of being emotional, instead of being visceral. Because yep. too Ugh. much of it is visceral now. It's, it's, all, it's all emotion, and we've yeah. lost track of facts. You're right. They, and facts don't matter. <laughs> I it's mean, our president, facts don't matter to our president. Yeah. Right? So how does, it, how does it matter to, to you know, Johnny, who's 25 years old, who just feels emotionally about something? The facts don't matter. You can say whatever to try to win the argument. And the, and the, and the, and the problem is we shouldn't be trying to win the argument. You should be having the discussion about whatever the argument is. Yeah, and I, and I know we went off on on a tangent. Yeah, I, I love that. I would, I would stick with that. But I but I think the biggest takeaway is uh, is again that offline meeting people and 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 having those conversations. Yeah. yeah. So my point uh, to, to, to right your to your question, success. what do I read? I read a little bit. I like reading history, like founding brothers and things of that nature about where our country came from. I just I just love learning where we were and where we are now. But the only way to know where we are now is to talk to people who are in where we are now. Um, and that takes a lot of dedicated time. Yeah, it does. And I know your calendar is crazy and, and appreciate you carving out an hour here to sit with oh, me. Oh, no, it's my pleasure. Yeah, but thanks so much for sharing all yeah, that information. We could, have, we could have talked for three hours. No, of course, easily. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I do for a living now. But I have so much in my head, it just, it's easy to just talk. <laughs> thanks, Tiki. If you enjoyed Tiki and my conversation, please be sure to let us know. We're both active on Twitter. My handle's at Paul Rabel. His is at Tiki Barber. Be the first to listen to next week's episode as well as catch up on previous episodes, including my one-on-one conversation with Tiki's fellow NFL star, Matt Hasselback. Matt was episode number two back in 2017. He was a personal favorite guest and a top five highest downloaded. His episode and many more are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your pods. Also, please hit subscribe when you find us, especially in the iTunes store. Shortcut to our show notes, you can visit suitinguppodcast.com. And of course, a special shout out to our show's sponsors today, Mattress Firm, Bombfell, and Beachbody On Demand. And remember, as Tiki told us, 
work really, really hard, and always be prepared because your opportunity will come. Have a great week.